Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight we have our long-suffering friend from PC Gamer, up way past his bedtime, Fraser Brown. (laughs) Hello. We also welcome freelance writer TJ Hafer. Greetings. Of course, we have GameSpeed's Director of Feline Talent Acquisition, (laughs) Rowan Kaiser. Hello. (laughs) And uh, we also welcome, for the first time here, GameSpot's Jenny Wu. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's going to be great. I hope so. Uh, it's, it might it's, not be. It's a total war show. <laughs> okay, yes, there's there's a bit of a complicated history between the, that series and this this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, all that all that is in the past. Uh, we're, we're we're in completely unknown territory here uh, because at long last we have gone back uh, to ancient China with. Total War Three Kingdoms, uh, yes. And Jenny, let's uh, let's start with you because I think your your view sort of captured uh, from from the outset some of the things that are profoundly different about this particular Total War versus some others, and the things it chooses to emphasize uh, that that other Total War games have have maybe tended to ignore. Hmm. Okay, that's completely cool. So just so we're all on the same page, the last Total War game, Britannia, that just didn't exist, right? We can just kind of just... <laughs> it was interesting. It, we'll it just was all right. that Britannia happened. <laughs> no, see, I, I, I won't, because for me, it's like a, it's something that I, it's a grudge I will lovingly nurse. Like it is, okay. it, it is a thing I can cite immediately to justify <laughs> any horrific thing I want to say about Total War. <laughs> I didn't play it, so I'm on board. Excellent. Um, yeah, I suppose if I were to give like a really brief summary of what Total War Three Kingdoms does differently, is it builds, it kind of brings back the hero mode from Warhammer, but it escalates it. You you build this whole cult of personality around your one particular general, and I think that sort of, that single thread kind of carries you throughout the game. You're less concerned about historical legacy, family legacy, you know, you are are so much more concerned about managing this very intimate relationship that your particular historical figure has with the rest of the Three Kingdoms universe. And I think the main difference for me, the sticking point, was that you have this gigantic source material, you have the Iliad of Chinese romance literature to rely on, and that's what makes Three Kingdoms so compelling and so good, is you're playing into what feels at some point, what sorry, what feels at some parts, like a preordained narrative, except you're still given so much freedom to act and to maneuver. It's like a really good mix of of history, of story, of of intrigue, and also just plain beating people up um, as Tao Tao. So, I don't know. I I, I dug it. I loved it. Rowan, I wanted to uh, ask you a a little bit, because I I know you had that podcast where you, Austin, uh, Brian, TJ, were all sort of digging into your your loves for for this period. And, uh, you know, a phrase I couldn't get out of my head uh, that that Brian said was that, you know, uh, Wu was like uh, Dragon Ball Z, but they're all allergic to arrows. (laughs) <laughs> and which which I think was an interesting it, it sort of stuck in my head because these these are historical factions these are historical figures but also there is this element of um yeah like fantasy-esque heightened uh you know epic to, to all of this did you find those things residing comfortably here did you feel there was did, did this feel like it struck the balance right between that uh sort of 
framing of the narrative and then what you kind of want from a traditional Total War? So one of the, the big selling points for this game that they've tried to do is say that there is a option at the beginning of every campaign that you do where you can go either romance mode or records mode romance being the dynasty warrior style individual heroes who rampage all over everything and records mode being the more traditional total war style of your generals being like just good strong cavalry units that have various other stats but you're not like fighting duels with them or sending a single one into an entire army and destroying them and as I was doing my previews, I was very curious to try each of these because record sounded like it would be more my speed in terms of what I want from Total War and tactics. Uh, I've spoken at length about how I thought that Shogun 2 and various original Rome 1 mods were uh, kind of the pinnacle of how I feel this this series should play. And a lot of them, even Warhammer to some extent, has gotten away from that. Um so having one that seemed a little more rigid, like the records of modes, was appealing to me. But it turns out I just love the romance mode. It's been exactly <laughs> how I want the, the sort of Dynasty Warriors historical, larger-than-life characters to feel. Um, I don't think it's entirely perfect, uh, especially in the early game, if you happen to have your specific, unique, legendary heroes like a, a Guan Yu or a, a Zhao Yun, um, you can just rampage over everything, like, very early on. But by and large, that is the way that it feels like the game is played ideally, where records mode, every time I've tried it, I've been like, eh, I lost, whatever, I'll start a new game. Um, where mm -hmm. I actually, like, really directly engage with the the characters being larger-than-life, cartoonish. Uh, God, what was the phrase that I came up with on that show? Um, oh yeah, they're superheroes. They're, they're you basically, came up you know, with that phrase. That's I didn't come up with it. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well yes, done. I came up with the phrase superheroes. They're like regular heroes. How much money does Marvel owe you? Jeez. Yeah, all those royalties. Given the way they paid Jack, paid Jack Kirby, about five cents. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Oh, harsh but true. Harsh but true. Yeah. No, but but it's like a superhero story in a lot of ways, and, and games like Dynasty Warriors or whatever have played that up. Um, and Total War brings it back a little bit. It feels a little bit less like a, uh, you know, just the beat em up and does get into how the history actually kind of ran. And, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But yes, the plague is the records mode with these big larger than life heroes was, or their romance mode was ideal for me at a level that I, was beyond even what I expected. Even what Total Warhammer does, it does really well. I am curious, was there anyone here who struggled with the uh, romance mode dynamics the way the way I did? Did anyone else find this kind of hard to parse at first? Because I definitely had some ugly early experiences. Uh, with you just suck at jewels, Rob. That's the problem. <laughs> you just need to do better. <laughs> Oh, Lord. It was basically my fencing career all over again. Uh, <laughs> no, it, I get I, what well, you mean because you were you said you were having a few problems the other night with jewels and just not succeeding in them. There, I actually I love them because honestly, I'm I'm getting a wee bit bored of Total War's uh, real time battles at this point, and having these dudes that can just charge in and like kill the enemy generals and make everyone run away 
uh, in a flashy display with lots of cool moves. That's that's my cup of tea. I'm enjoying that a lot. And there are lots of ways to make sure you have the right generals, the right leaders for the job. There are like all these different classes and some of them ha are specifically designed to be able to take on other leaders in fights and they have these abilities so you can, it's not really micromanaging, but you can keep an eye on them and keep popping off those abilities and the AI isn't quite as consistent as a person can be so you can usually win. You've got like a few levels of leeway, I think, over the AI. Uh, I think that there's there are some issues with this game in terms of how how it kind of defines and introduces each character. Like there are, as far as I can tell, three different levels of character, maybe even four. Um, there are the legendary unique units. Um, you're we're basically the dynasty warriors, although they you know some of them are slightly different. Uh, and then you have um, characters who are unique but they are not like the legendary unique characters. Um, so like Tao Tao's brother, Tao Rin, is a unique character in the game. When you hover over him, he has like a uh, a descriptor that he's the only one who has, but his unit model is not that good and, or is not unique like the, the main characters have. And he dies after he dies, gets beaten once in a, in a battle, which is like what the generic units do, which is like most of the random characters who are, or not random characters, uh, most of the other historical characters who are just kind of names that are thrown out there because those are the names that are in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms and in the actual history. Uh, and then there are a bunch of random characters uh, that uh, kind of surprised me as someone who has played a lot of the Romance of the Three Kingdoms games, uh, where like, they only have the historical characters and like when you get to the end game in those sometimes you just have like eight generals left over all of China where there used to be 200 um, but uh, figuring out like exactly which general fits in what place which is has a large part to do with like how strong they are especially in the early game and how easily they die so if you don't necessarily know that uh, the yellow turban leader Hei is <laughs> a unique legendary hero. Yeah. <laughs> he can rampage all over all these characters who are like legit good characters, uh, but they're not necessarily at the level that he's supposed to be. It's also kind of hard to read how, how much health your generals have. Yeah. Um, I thought that the, uh, the green, there's a little green thing that fills up in battles. Uh, I thought that was morale and not health. And when I realized it was health, the game got a lot easier to read. And there, there are a bunch of little things like that. This is a very complex game that uh, has a lot of new interface and so on things, which are largely good. But when there's different things like that, yes, there is a, a bit of a learning curve. And the <laughs> biggest one for me was probably figuring out like how easily which generals I had died, how many legendaries I could expect, and so on. The color coding's handy, though. Like yeah. knowing it's and it's not just for the generals, is it? It's, you've got buildings, re, like research your tech stuff. It's all color coded, really easy to understand. Um, you kind of know if you've got a food problem. There's the green buildings and things like that. So it does actually. I, I there's so much going on that it can be a little bit challenging to parse. But I do think the game goes out of its way to make it more digestible. I think the UI is one of the best that the series has had. Yeah, agreed. 
I think Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. I think part of the problem you were having, and I even had this issue a little bit initially too, is that they do put a lot of emphasis on the duels, but they don't do that excellent a job of explaining how the different general classes um, relate to like success in a duel. Like they'll tell you that the champion the green guys are the best duelists, but then like they don't tell you things like, well, champions actually aren't that great against regular troops. So a good way to counter them is to take your best infantry and just throw it at them and don't agree to duel them. And, you know, vanguards are, are they can duel almost in each class except a champion, but they're probably going to lose to a champion. And like commanders can duel, but they probably shouldn't because against any of the other three duel appropriate classes they're they're not as good and you kind of have to learn like it kind of almost reminded me of age of mythology where there was the the heroes versus mortals versus monsters thing as an additional layer on top of the typical sword spear cavalry archer thing that total war usually does Uh, uh, to go back to the color thing because this is a really interesting aspect of both the a or ui and just sort of the conceptual building of this game um There are five different colors that pretty much everything in the game is attached to. Those colors are all represent uh, one of the Chinese elements. And like uh, Fraser said, green corresponds to agriculture. It also corresponds to champions. um, And it also corresponds to uh, spear infantry. Um, Who are usually like best to be like put in with a champion leader, aren't they? Like halberds and spears. So, so these things all kind of intersect with one another. Like when you go to the tech tree or the reform tree, because it's not actually like technology improving so much. It's just things getting slightly better. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, it is a tree though. It is, it is a beautiful, beautiful cherry tree. Um, when you go into this and you are upgrading your agriculture or your peasant uh, money via the, the green branches of this, that's also where you unlock the new uh, spear units. And so all these things kind of feed into one another in a way that even if you don't entirely know what's going on, um, you can usually tell that you put the green things together, you'll be okay. You put the red things together, they'll be okay. Like, it's it's a really kind of conceptually interesting thing that I am interested to see if it's as powerful to like harmonize those things, or if it's more of a mental idea that the game kind of just says, yes, I know it's complicated, follow the colors and you'll be fine. But maybe the colors aren't the most, uh, most powerful thing you can do. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful and uh, clever. And I, I look forward to like really, really unpacking it over, you know, probably the next four years. (laughs) so i think for me uh what was striking here i think one of the things that consistently sort of put me uh got me a little bit wrong-footed with my early playthroughs uh was that i wouldn't say the tutorial is bad like there's a lot of thoughtful touches uh the uh, the information button you hit that immediately like sort of freezes the interface and cause like causes a hover over tooltip for just about anything you see on the screen uh, to appear. That's really thoughtful. That's helpful. The text on buildings or like things about like hero archetypes, all of that was helpful. But what was striking to me when I was playing it, and uh, and maybe this was also because 
what I know about this period comes from Dynasty Warriors and that podcast y'all did like a couple months ago. Like literally, this is why I like this is why uh, like Hiyi like absolutely destroyed me because I was like, how tough can a yellow turban be? They're their first fucking level. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh no. <laughs> so so imagine imagine my dismay when as Zhao Zhao like I sent like three different armies at different times against them and had like three to one odds. But I was like, oh, I'm just going to swat these yellow turban, you know, curs away and move on with my business. I'll send my son. It'll be a good, it'll be a good, it'll be a good place for him to grind some experience. Um, and it didn't work out that way. But I think even more broadly, there was an issue of the game did a decent job of showing me how, like, what each specific part did. But the weird thing is. It didn't. None of that added up to a sense of how I was supposed to play this, and it's not like a traditional to- total war game. And that was the part that threw me. Right? I was like, okay, here's the you know here's the minutia around these classes, around some of these dynamics. None of that added up to this idea of what you're supposed to do in Total War Three Kingdoms, which was a bit daunting, but also exciting because mm-hmm. at least you know th- this this is me. This is the first Total War in ages where I felt a lot of my series knowledge kind of got tossed out the window, and I kind of had to enter a different headspace. Uh, Jenny, I'm curious if, if, if that tracks with your experience at all. Yeah, so that was actually one of the main things that I had a bit of a gripe about. I was pretty glowing about everything else apart from the game's tutorials. So like you said, pretty happy with how it tells you how to use different menus and explains all the math and goes, you can view this and you can view this and click on this and click on that. But I think from, well, I'm someone that has Romance of the Three Kingdoms sort of knowledge tucked away in my brain um, from studying it when I was growing up. Um, obviously, you can't assume that everyone that picks up this game is going to be like, yeah, I know exactly who Lubu is, that guy with the crazy red horse. Oh, Belle the Red Cliffs, <laughs> haha. Like, you know, no one is, a lot of, very few people are going to actually sit down and be like, I know exactly how this this thing goes with Dong Zhuo. Like, you know, it's all going to be fine. So like the whole yellow turban fiasco which i think a couple of us have been coming to terms with slowly over the course of this podcast like the five (laughs) stages of grief um it definitely does not do a good job at all of of telling you or i suppose building the backbone of of the knowledge of the contextual knowledge that you need to really really i suppose do well in three kingdoms i think that's the one area where it does let people that are probably more new to the franchise down because first of all it is a big change if you did play the last Black Sheep game, Total War, Thrones of Britannia. It's a huge 180 from that game. And I think while the UI is super clean, super updated, all the color coding, all the accessibility mechanical stuff is great, it does let you down and not actually giving you enough about the figures that populate the world because they're no longer just, oh, that's a Viking. Oh, that's a vampire. Oh, that's a dwarf. Like these individual figures that you'll contend with have real significance and the tutorial just kind of completely glazes over that 100% and goes here out into the wider world have a have a goat have a township just you know just have a whack at it and that sort of is I think my main issue where I sort of docked some points I guess was just how that translated to people overall in the tutorial mode you you read that comic right Rob uh yeah I did and that sort of gave me some useful context but it also, I felt like I ran out, <laughs> like the game runs off the historical rails so quickly uh, <laughs> yes. that I was a little bit, or or weirdly it doesn't. Like the other thing that was like, 
throwing me in my first game was that it opens on the coalition is dead and within seconds of the opening of that the coalition was very much alive we were the three amigos just like cleaning house in china and it was like we'll be best friends forever and i was like yes we will (laughs) it kind of it does kind of pick up at a weird time like i understand from a campaign design perspective why they chose to start it at the exact time they did but it does kind of skip some sort of important backstory. Like one of the weirdest things is that uh, every campaign I've played, I've started five or six campaigns already. Like Dongzhuo is usually dead within like five to 10 turns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas that is a pretty small part of the novel, but when you're reading the novel, that part feels much bigger because he's like, you know, he's the big bad of season one of romance of the three kingdoms i guess <laughs> and in this game you don't ever really fight him the coalition is like already kind of on its last legs when you pick up on turn one which seemed kind of like um kind of like you're skipping something that maybe could have helped give uh people who are new to the era a little bit of added context that would help them with any context just right. a little bit of context that <laughs> exactly. would have been dope Exactly. Like it actually makes me think back to one of one of the things about Rome Two that actually did work at launch, which was the tutorial. Oh, someone said it. Uh, Hell yeah, Rome Two yeah, time. <laughs> the the Rome Two tutorial that kind of like show it, it walked True. you through like a series of like four or five battles against. Um, I, I don't remember if it was the, the the Sabines or whichever Roman tribe you were fighting or Latin tribe you were fighting. Uh, um, but it gave you context for what the rest of the campaign was going to be, and I think Three Kingdoms could have used something like that for sure. It, it feels like it could use the Crusader Kings thing, where there's a button that takes you to someone's Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah, or even actually, even like, doing, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I yeah. love that little Wikipedia dive. But uh, yeah, and it, it's more relevant to this because this takes place over two, three generations yeah. as opposed to mm-hmm. you know twenty. Sure. Or or like just some kind of like a little intro video. Like if I click on Guan Yu, if if I'm imagining I'm somebody who has no idea who Guan Yu is, I can see that he's the god of war because it's on his character card. And I can see that he's got like really good stats because he's the god of war. But I would have loved to have had like some kind of like little like 30 second video just explaining, okay, Guan Yu's a badass. Here's why. Uh, have fun. You know, that that would have been that would have been, I think, really helpful, especially to people who don't know the era as well. See, I... I started with uh, Tao Style because he's easy and I'm not reviewing it. So I'm like, I'm just going to have some fun. Uh, and and I didn't really know much about this fella. So uh, I thought I'd be quite nice. And it was like, occupy, be really chill, be friends with everyone. And then I go on Wikipedia and find out he's a total dick. Yeah. Uh, and like, I've just been playing it all wrong. So it sounds not the good right guy. right to be a dick. Yeah, so I, I was being he a... He is the good guy. He's the only one who has the, the knowledge. But he was still like a, a tyrant. And I was playing it really sort of progressive. <laughs> Uh, and, really uh, progressive. Just, uh, you know, for co- within the, the context kind of, of the game. Sal, Sal. Yeah, oh and it, you know, so I obviously made some pretty big mistakes there, but now I'm back on track and being a right prick. Actually, uh, that's a really good. I'm. Um, that's actually really interesting because I did something similar uh, because I was like, these my coalition partners, are my buddies. 
Why would I turn right? against my my sworn brothers? Uh, you know, we I will always hearken back to this this fight we shared against uh, Dong Zhuo, who I knew for like knew about for like five minutes. Um, and so clearly, clearly we're, we have bonds forged in blood. Uh, at least until at least until that one patsy like just cut his throat. Anyway, but so I'm there's Cao Cao, and I was like, all right, uh, I will, you know. Clearly, this character seems motivated about like uh, restoring order. So I want to play it by the d- diplomatic rules. Like I'm going to be cool <laughs> with people. I'm going to be a good neighbor. And what was happening consistently was I would like spare someone, and then I would turn around and somebody else, often one of my lines partners, would immediately swoop in and just like gobble them up. And I was like, oh, that, like, oh, okay. Uh, this is this is different, and it's not. That's classic Total War, but it's a little more. It it, it feels a little bit less, uh, you know, less guided by the AI. They seem to have a better job. They seem to do a slightly better job of uh, assembling really like credible empires uh, under their control compared to some other games. But the other part of this uh, was that, you know, as as I was out, I started to realize I really needed to be. I should have known this guy was no good when I realized what credibility was good for. Yeah. I should have realized. I would, yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. it's like, um, God, it, what's uh, the villain in Jessica Jones? What's his name? Kilgrave. Kilgrave. Yeah. Doctor Who. Kilgrave. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like that is a superpower that cannot be used for good, right? It just inherently it is manipulative and terrible. And that's basically what you have in this where you're like, you want to start a proxy war? And I was like, <laughs> yes, I do. That seems and that wasn't and once I realized like I couldn't square that with like being noble Zhao Zhao just trying to restore peace and harmony because secretly I'm like, what if these two people killed each other for no good reason? It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> a very good reason because they're getting too big for their riches. Right. Mm-hmm. And but it was it was cool where like a lot like this was a game that forced me I was flowing between the battle map, the strategy map, and spending mm-hmm. a lot of time comparatively for total war in diplomacy trying to figure out like wedges and seams i could find in the sort of state of play that's that's actually going back to uh what i was going to say before you started there which uh that kind of combines with the lack of the history um if i had any like really significant issue with this game that's opposed to like oh i could see this being tweaked a little later is that it's really hard to find a kind of macro overview um, like, especially because the story of the history here, like, I, I know who these characters are. I am connected with them. I can't, like, go and look at who's winning, like, unless I know them diplomatically. But in the early game, you don't know most of China diplomatically. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I would love a, a civilization or a Crusader King, or not Crusader Kings, EU4 style, like, power chart. Uh, going on here i would love to be able to zoom out and see like who's in whose coalitions and all that i did not find an easy way to do that um and especially at south south that's like the main thing that you can do is start driving those wedges um and most perhaps most importantly i would like like an ability to click on a character and see where they'd been from who their family was uh just like what their history so far has been in a way that it's that there are a couple different ways that you could get at this information in little bits but it's not really not really like a single page that says you know here is this particular person 
uh, and here is everything that they are. Maybe that would not work with the spy, uh, spy aspect of the game so well, but I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I wanted that kind of, uh, a little more of that Crusader Kings 2 style role playing as well that you, you have to have the information to begin with. And the game is not great at giving it to you, especially for characters who aren't in your faction. Um, that said, the, I think that to flip it back to just Tao Tao's like credibility mechanic for a historical game, which involves by and large characters from the same class and some from the same rough region and background and so on. These are nobles in Han China. Uh, it does a really good job of giving all of the different factions subtle abilities that allow them to like play like those personalities become in the novels um you know uh in addition to Cao Cao's credibility you have like Yuan Shao's lineage that he can use in order to just recruit people super easily and you know take over towns because he is he's the guy who like you would have put money on to become the next emperor if you were doing that and he kind of squandered that because he was he believed that too. He was, he was like, it's my time. It, it's my turn. And that was about the extent of his uh, political campaign. I don't know where I've heard that before. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, so you have all these different factions that have all these different little things that create these much bigger feelings of personality that kind of gets into a role-playing aspect of Total War Three Kingdoms, which is not really a thing that has existed much in uh, Total War games. Like, I remember when we were excited about Rome 2 doing it and then absolutely crushed uh, at every possible <laughs> level. Um, and, God. Okay, okay. Move on, Rowan. Uh, but, <laughs> wow, like, this is getting yeah, thread, thread um, AF, uh, Rowan. Yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there's a role-playing component that this leans into that it knows that... Uh, it knows that this is one of the core appeals of the series. And one of the things that I liked about Jenny's review when I saw it was that like, she began with like that direct role-playing connection. <laughs> Good um, God. And, uh, also there were like parts that you said were like, you even had to take out even more decadent storytelling. So uh, yeah, I'd wait, there's really interested. You, you had more drama, Jenny. Oh my god. I, I was basically writing my own Total War fan fiction in my review. Like, awesome. I remember sending it to my editor and I was like, listen, mate, I've cut out 500 words of how I got married to some old guy for protection and just skewered him in the back later on. Like, literally, just, man, there is so much going on here. And I found it quite interesting because I thought I would, be, I thought I would do something a little bit different because, like I said, I'm familiar with the Three Kingdoms sort of shtick. You know, I'm a huge Dynasty Warriors fan. Also read a lot of the text myself, and so I thought, you know, I'm just going to go with a character who's actually not really in them at all. And so I know that they created Zheng Xiang, the Bandit Queen, for the game. Essentially, she's really got no real ties in literature to any of these characters. And I was like, you know what? I'll go play as her and see how it goes. I'll see if I can immerse myself in this world with a character that I know is completely alien to the actual source material. And it went really well. And I don't know if that's like a testament to just how strongly they've been able to to build up this sort of cult of personality type stuff around even uh, essentially a quote-unquote fake character. But I just found that really appealing. I slid into the whole Bandit Queen thing right away. You know, I was like, I'm 18. I hate Dong Zhuo my whole life. You know, he's ripped my family away from, from me. He's going to die. 
Um, <laughs> he did die five times later, not at my hand. Super disappointed <laughs> about that, first of all, because then I was like, what is my motivation now? I guess I just expand across China and kill people because I'm a bandit and this is what I do. And it was fine. You know, I, I really enjoy the power fantasy that playing as a very heavily expansionist driven character gave me. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I think that the, the game's strength and weakness, I suppose, for me personally, in the role playing aspect, is I can't really quite reconcile how it gave me this immense dramatic power fantasy victory with a character who's not, who's not really in any of the novels and then kind of fell short for me when I was playing Tao Tao. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, I guess I've come in at the lame part of my personal story because all my politicking is basically over by 190 AD. Like I've done my job already. I am already famous. I am already influential. I, I've sort of done the legwork. And so for me, that was that the main push and pull was, yes, I, I loved absolutely killing people. <laughs> I loved absolutely playing as this crazy bandit queen, but also I wish that it had done a little bit more to throw a bone to people that knew these characters and actually develop storylines or gave you the chance to develop storylines that were in line with their narrative progression in the novels. But yeah, drama, lovely, um, but could have been way more of it. And I hope that future games in the series do that a little bit better. Jenny, I think you're going to be annoyed with me, but I actually think Thrones of Britannia did some of that a bit better. <laughs> what? Actually, no, like not the not the personal okay. drama, right. not not the personal drama, but the context okay. and the storylines for the it's people time who. For Fraser to be wrong. About okay, look, I didn't, I didn't right. get to do my. <laughs> We're in it now. <laughs> I didn't get to do this my seven out of ten. I'm ready. Time, so. uh, okay, bear with me. All right. Uh, so the personal story stuff, obviously, like the, the is much much better the interactions the diplomacy all that stuff mm -hmm. much better but there's like no real uh flavorful missions you get a couple but i've played for ages now and i'm not seeing any of the sort of it you get basically quests in thrones of britannia epic quests yeah. there's like i've i've not like played all of the characters i've only played a couple but there's none of that dramatic fate of the world, go in this epic mission. It's just like, at most, you're really getting quests from your council, which is like, it's the same quest over and over again, repeated. <laughs> I've stopped doing them because I just don't give a shit about my nobles anymore. Because all they keep doing is asking me to do the same thing. Build something. I've built loads, mate. I'm Usually an office them. complex, too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Build me more administrative buildings. Fuck off and do it yourself. It's really... Yeah, I'm not into it. I'd much prefer to have... It, I remember playing it in as one of the, the Scottish factions. You get to go and get the, th uh, the Stone of Destiny. Uh, yeah, you have to go right, all yeah. the way through the country. You actually end up sparking multiple wars, going everywhere, engaging with every other kingdom as you're doing it. It's really good. The game overall was it, it was bold, but kind of eh, it didn't really work, and the AI was terrible, and it was buggy, and it was really boring by the end. But that thing it did really well. Uh, and, and Warhammer has a lot of that as well. A lot of like really interesting quests, but I didn't get that Fraser, at all. In, in go, Three Kingdoms. go play Lu Bay. You're gonna, you're gonna like yeah. Lu Bay's campaign. <laughs> I can tell you right right now. Yeah, has he got lots of? He quests? probably has. He has the most yeah. of anyone yeah. that I've played for sure. Yeah, 
And it's not just quests. It's like interesting quests that aren't just go to the city down the road. and. Well, it's, it. it's supposed to be, and, and Rowan and I have already talked about whether or not it actually accomplishes this goal, which I'm not sure that it really does. It's, it's supposed to be able to allow you to play through his path in the novel, which involves him losing his power base and moving across the country multiple times. Um, I right. think there are some issues in how it goes about trying to give you that option. But yeah, Because I did that with Tao Tao. It has a sort of follow Tao Tao story thing. And I did it. Mm. And it was basically like, kill a dude. And I did that. And it was like, <laughs> cool, now take over the city did that cool you've won the game <laughs> it's really yeah not it definitely that great. is much better when you're playing characters who are i suppose not signposted with the easy difficulty i think then your actual mm. quests are a lot more interesting and like i said with tao tao he's already kind of done all his famous shit by the time he hit 190 ad like he's already he's already the the strategist you know the mastermind like you don't really get the chance to play that through so i would recommend playing pretty much anybody else if you want a campaign that's more flavorful um if you want one that's full of skirmishing i would pick one of i would not pick any of the governors honestly i just go for the coalition members straight up just pick anybody else but Tao i mean Tao. i picked i went um what's the dude to the south sun jin uh, so, yeah Sun-Jian. yeah Sun-Jian. that's the fella yeah, I know, it was yeah. it was He's a similar great. he was fun but it was a similar experience that i wasn't i just didn't feel like i was getting those interesting yarns uh, and I was having like there was there's a lot to do, and I, there's almost not much time to miss that. But I did feel that there was so much more of it in both Warhammer and, and Thrones of Britannia, and I missed that. And it felt perfect for this more RPG-like personality-driven Total War. That's what's weird is that that's such an obvious thing to have more of in this game. And if it's just like some factions have it, depending on their like, because they're at a certain point in their lives where they're more interesting. No, do that with all the factions. Well, and, and like Cao <laughs> Cao specifically is like a plot creator. Like, he's kind of the instigator mm. for a lot of the stuff that would be seen as, like, interesting story moments for the other faction. He's probably the character that most people are going to play, <laughs> though, as well. He's the first one on the mm. list. He's the easiest it's character. True. He's the introductory character. Okay, At that okay, point, okay. people Hold might on. only play him. <laughs> okay, I think we're going about this all wrong, and maybe the game went about this all wrong. Uh, I have the opposite experience. I don't want those quests forcing me down this path. The stories that I'm getting out of this game without having these quests are amazing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's it. This is actually the most viable strategic map I've ever seen in a Total War game. And granted, like, I am firmly well-versed in Three Kingdoms. I know all of these different leaders, except for, you know, the ones they invented. Uh, <laughs> and, like... It's interesting to me to see, okay, Liu Bei managed to survive out in the West or in the East. Like, this will change the campaign and make it different or whatever. Like, yeah, that's, that's a thing that I have an inherent advantage in here. But when I see this play out, it's like a paradox game where these are all potential historical things that could have happened. And the stories that they make by, you know, Cao Cao heads south instead of north creates entirely different strategic dynamics through the rest of the game. And each one of them seems to be doing it differently. Uh, like, I don't need the quests to make those things happen. They're nice, mm. especially in the early game. But what I am getting out of this is a ridiculously satisfying, and I've started a bunch of campaigns. Like, I'm, I'm only just now in my first end game because I just like, I want to try like 12 different people here. 
this is exactly what I want out of a Three Kingdoms thing. Um, but like each one of those seems to go in a slightly different direction that makes for really interesting strategic decisions later on. Uh, the map is, uh, has interesting choke points but it's not like shogun 2 where you're just fighting over the same choke points over and over and over uh it's it's just like every different point creates a different like little creative choice that just makes me really happy to be in this world playing a strategy game real quick real quick choke points cool thing they did this actually works really well there are those valuable choke points like between mountain passes or around rivers or something but yuan shu was being this little asshole and just kept like we'd fight i could never like get through the choke point to kick his ass like the the fight at the choke point always like robbed me of offensive momentum um, and so we just sort of trade cities and it just never went anywhere. And finally, just cause of positioning, he ended up like striking when my back was turned. He went through the choke point and sent one of his armies against a, uh, you know, one, one of my towns. It was pretty bolstered up by garrison. Um, it was, it was the, uh, lumber camp map, which I've seen way too much and it has <laughs> the dynamics of that battle are really silly. I hate it. Because uh, it's the it's, it's the place where you can most exploit the AI's limitations because it doesn't understand that, like, if you run all your troops down, like, a cul-de-sac, I'm just going to have troops bottle either end and kill you. Uh, but he does that. But in the meantime, I send my main army over the mountains. I just eat the attrition. I do the total, like, Hannibal thing where, mm-hmm. like, I just grind it over these mountains and, like, hit his heartland that was completely undefended. And it was, like, the most surprise motherfucker moment I've ever had in a Total War game. Uh, which was re- <laughs> felt really good uh, to finally just rip that guy's jade mine uh, out of his hands. But the other thing, the other thing I wanted to get to here was... um. To the point about stories and narrative, I also think the character dynamics themselves are throwing up some interesting stories and uh, tensions within the game. Um, and Jenny, you're talking about like you know having had your character make a strategic marriage uh, just to mm. like you know get through a difficult point. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of struck me as an interesting thing to happen in a total war game. But I was having a similar. I was constantly thinking about, like, I would be sitting there and I would be troubled because my two top generals did not get along. And I, like, and truly, and and truly, like, as their liege lord, it brought me much grief that, like, my, like, two of my top commanders could not campaign together because they just Mm. fucking despised each other. And, like, the longer they hung out, the more they despised each other. And I would just watch watch their, like, satisfaction plummet. And I was like, what is it going to take? And it, you know, it it, it turned out uh, basically just have like sending one to the north, one to the south, and just like never having them speak was was basically. The solution. <laughs> I think there should be more dating. Oh yeah, no, there should be more dating. We should like you can arrange really marriages be... and stuff, but actual proper proper <laughs> yeah. dating. Like... We want to we want to romance all three of the kingdoms. <laughs> exactly, it's saying. called we... romance, right? It's but... insane that there's not. As... Oh, there should be loads of love. What? There was a great period for love, definitely. Yeah, in the spirit of the literature, just so much love and happiness going on at that particular point in history. The whole lunch trailer was all about, like, everyone coming together and helping each other up. And I'm like, and then they kiss? And they don't. They don't do enough of that. 
the coalition of lips. <laughs> well, I, but oh, good God. I do the, the the actual camaraderie stuff, and then the rivalries is so good, though it really yeah. is. Yeah, like it it, it makes. So and I I like I know what what Ron was saying earlier about him not really wanting those directed stories. I'm not like opposed to that. That's I kind of agree. But they still have loads of quests in this and they're just not yeah. very good the stuff that actually happens just randomly between the characters or as they develop and as they fight um yeah. is really cool like oh we've we've had a few battles together and you're so muscular and cool and <laughs> we're now friends and i'm like i i get that i get oh. that yeah. or it's like i'm the general and you're the administrator and you're just a dick you're not giving me enough food i right? hate everything you do to me uh at least you're getting us money but i cannot wait to see the back of you on your stupid assignment it's like damn that fucking mm. magistrate well the other here the, i think what <laughs> what encapsulates that to me uh like that was like a moment where i was like oh, okay this this character system is pretty brilliant is the way that they balance Lubu. Because, like, appropriately to the source material, Lubu is, like, OP as shit. Like, he's, he's a, he'll yeah. tear through enemy troops. He can, like, beat anybody in a duel. He's just the most awesome dude ever. But he has a trait that means he will never be loyal to any master. He has a trait that means he will always be upset if he isn't being given a higher political office, like, every five turns or something. And he has a trait that when he does get higher political offices, uh, he's going to want to immediately try to start a civil war. So it's like they've taken this character and is like, yeah, he's really badass. Uh, if you want to hire him, it's going to be a headache, though, which I thought was like a really cool way to use personality traits of a character to balance them when, mm. you know, on the battlefield on paper, he's not balanced at all. I was going to say it was the Kyrie. It sounds like he's the Kyrie of this game, but then you said he actually got it done, and I realized, like, no, that's not really the apt analogy. Um, so I am I am curious, though, because how far can you push that system? Like, like Jenny, you specifically mentioned, like, you struck a marriage and then, like, put a dagger in your husband's, like, back later on. And I'm curious, like, mechanically, how did that all unfold? Because I was really hesitant, for instance, people constantly suggest, like, why don't you become my vassal? And in Total War games, you never do that. Like, because it basically yeah. means, like, why would I give up that agency and basically, like, consign myself to being a AI character. So yeah. I, I'm curious, like, how far you pushed, like, the combination of character uh, interactions and, like, diplomatic system to kind of create these end-run solutions around strategic roadblocks. Okay, so essentially it was a real last-ditch sort of attempt to help myself. Like, I was floundering... Um, this is probably the first, it was the first time I'd started as Zheng Jiang, and I figured, I thought I was hot shit, right? I was like, yeah, I've played so many Total War games, this will be easy, very hard, but whatever. No, I was an idiot. <laughs> I was basically getting swallowed up on pretty much all sides by, um, by enemies, by other bandits, and the other bandit king, the guy that I basically quote-unquote married, um, well, conveniently married politically, um, he was like knocking on my door. And what actually prompted me to make that decision was the fact that my generals thought that I was just a piece of shit. They just hated me. Like I had one guy that just literally told me like that his, his little like thing popped up and was like, oh, this guy's probably going to try and kill you on the battlefield the next time you fight. And I was like, oh, great. His satisfaction is so low. I might actually die to one of my inner circle members. 
And I was like, okay, wait, who does this guy actually respect? And it turned out to be someone from like this weird warlord, my future husband's faction. He was like, oh, this guy kind of knows this guy. And they're like, there's a green tick there where there was like a red cross or pretty much every other internal relationship with my inner circle and myself. And I was like, you know what? I've got people at like less than 15 satisfaction. I am running on like a really, the time is running out for me right now. I need allies. This guy's going to run me over otherwise. Why don't we get married? And um, that solved a lot of my internal problems. Like I stopped bleeding satisfaction from two of my, I suppose, most qualified generals. Um, And it was a big blow to my pride because like you just mentioned, like you never want to really, or previously you never want to vassalize yourself. It just isn't, you just don't want to do it. It just, you feel like you take away that player choice and agency. And maybe because I was playing Zhang Xiang who wasn't really in the novels, I was like, do I really care about this story being grand and epic? You know, maybe she takes a couple of knocks here and there, school of hard knocks, whatever, she'll live. She's a bandit, it's whatever. So I was a lot more open to actually playing as this nobody character and going, you know what, it's fine if I marry this guy, it won't be a problem. You know, maybe 50 turns from now, 40 turns from now, when I'm 40 years old, I will be able to get rid of him. And and essentially what, what, what this marriage did was it bought me time to play the diplomacy system so I started trying to do what you guys suggested. So I set my generals away when they were sort of just like fighting fighting with one another. I tried to really bolster up my inner circle, get really good allies or I guess more reliable allies that wouldn't stab me in the back. And then eventually I just started sort of seizing territories back. So it's just, for me, it wasn't a game that I planned. It was a desperate move 100%. But I'm glad that the game gave me the freedom to actually execute on that and to see it through. And that there were tangible benefits and I suppose being quote unquote subservient to somebody else. Like there would be in a real political alliance that you would make in a really turbulent political time. So I enjoyed that role play that role playing flavor aspect of what the game let me do. It speaks to the quality of the diplomacy and intrigue, mm. but I especially liked how Rob framed that question like a job interview question. Like, <laughs> Jenny, you're trying to conquer ancient China. You've got a trash husband, what do you do? <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, so you do have a decent amount of autonomy as a vassal compared mm. to other total wars and for, the spying stuff right really helps yeah. because you've got yeah, that sort of undercover influence mm. yeah and it, you can also just still declare wars you just send mm-hmm. you you have a protective alliance on the defensive end and you send 20 percent of your income almost everyone i played has been low income so it hasn't been good for me but i could see especially with jing jang as uh yeah, she's she could use uh, the protection more than the money at some level. And when being mm. offered or asking to become a vassal, because you might be in like just like you were in such a dire situation that you just want to vassalize yeah. yourself, you can mm-hmm. often ask for autonomy. So actually, you're getting some tangible benefits, but you still keep you know freedom. Uh, whereas sometimes you can like vassalize another power, and they just they lose everything. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think the autonomy is uh, that's the guarantee that they, can't that be they taken. won't yeah. confederate. Yeah, exactly. yeah, they won't be. So, put and into if you do empire. that, like that is by far the biggest untrustworthy thing that I have seen <laughs> in the entire game. Like, you declare war on somebody you have a non-aggression pact with, that's like a minus ten. Yeah. Vassalize some vassalize or confederating someone you vassalized with a guarantee of autonomy is like a negative forty-five. So, yeah, that's a that's a hit. Um, How. Out of curiosity, how far did people push the espionage system? Because that was just something I didn't get. It was rare that, like, the options that were available to me were interesting enough. Like, 
what kept happening was that the way this works is you basically send a character out of your court. And this is key. The the maybe the biggest difference here is that the characters it's like fucking it's like a it's a, a CW show characters just <laughs> exist in this world and like week to week they will appear as part of different alliances like once they leave like uh, you know yeah. oh like you know oh damn um, you know Archie and Veronica broke up and now Veronica's oh gone to become like a crime warlord. With someone else? Okay, sure. Like, yeah. all these characters... I'm very glad you're still watching Riverdale, Rob. Because <laughs> that, that does happen in Riverdale, by the way. That, that kind of does happen. Oh, shit. Spoiler. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but... The, 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 that's, this is a huge change, because, like, usually in the other Total War games, characters... Only... The, the big threat they pose is they might, like, turn traitor at a moment, but what you're not going to see, in general, is this idea of there being, like, a robust... Uh, freelance economy for <laughs> for generals who like will just get pissed off, leave, or like get dismissed from service, and then they will move on. They will like come to different different courts where they can be, be hired on by uh by, by different lords. But the thing is, within that system, some of these guys floating around could be spies. You take you take someone out of your court and you say, "I need you to go infiltrate uh, someone else's court." So, good luck. And they leave. And then they might pop up later being like, hey, boss, great news. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm Lupe's minister of finance now. <laughs> um, so, I guess I'm in place. What do you want me to do? And, and, and that was all really cool. But then when I looked at like, okay, well, what, what can you do? That's where I was like, man, I don't know that all like... Is this stuff going to move the needle that much for me? I guess I can turn him against one of his generals, but like, what's one general when when he's got like twenty? Could be his best friend. That's true. Like, well, that's <laughs> the thing. So, so, did anyone do like truly nasty shit via espionage? I feel like I I had like a whole like underground empire going, uh, <laughs> but I lost track of my spies. So, like oh, no. one day, I'm just wandering through the map and I find this enemy army and I'm like, fuck yeah, let's destroy them. And I did. And then it popped up and it's like, tragically, your spy has died in the line of duty. Oh, and I'm like, no. oh shit, I just fucking executed my spy. <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> so it can let you do that because they, they actually become members of the enemy faction. So your spies are like actually controlling uh, an enemy He's army. He's given you the secret hand was, signal nope. the whole time and you're just like stabbing him like, like, further into his chest cavity. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, is that like a nervous tick? Like, what is that, man? The guy's freaking me out. I better stab him some more. Yeah. It was really embarrassing. And I just read the little pop-up. And I'm like, where? Where's this guy died? And then I realized, it's like I've got his blood still on my hands. Oh, and I'm like holding, no. cradling his mm. dead body. Yeah, I, I, I had that, except I captured him instead of killing him in the battle. And it was like, Awkward. extract instead of release. And mm. I'm like... What does extract mean? I don't know what extract means. <laughs> I guess I'll just click that. And it's like, oh, yeah, I just ruined my spy's entire thing. All right, then. But uh, yeah, in general, I think both the spies and after the very early game, I was I have not seen a whole bunch of like the internal politics going mm. wild, like being able to trigger giant civil wars. Um, 
just has not quite seemed to happen either via my problem or someone else's. Although I did just get to a point in my like final Three Kingdoms War game where uh, enough of my places are are thinking of rebelling that uh, I, I might actually begin to start dealing with that. But in general, I found I found it a little bit too easy to maintain those those bonds um, or you know, the spies have not been able to do enough out on the other side, which is uh, a bit sad. It's something that I would love to see tweaked or perhaps a mod that's just like double satisfaction decay or whatever. You can also nick someone's horse, which is yes. kind of cool. Yeah. Just send your dude halfway across the map and he just comes back with this knackered old nag. See what I got, boss? It's a bit disappointing. <laughs> also, to the point about like some of these mechanics, it reminds me a bit of the Imperator problem when you're playing Rome, where it's like, Okay, like you've set the table for there being a lot of drama and, uh, you know, sort of uh, secret dealings to go down, but I'm not sure I see it bearing fruit often enough. And part of it is just maybe it gives you too many, too much clear signposting about when someone is running off the rails. And also, you have so many tools to, like, the problem is you have so many tools to appease a useful character. Like, first of all, I have never seen people this thrilled to get a cheap ceramic tchotchke as oh, I've yeah. seen yeah. in this game. Like, people are like, oh my god, is that, is that? And I'm like, yes, it is. It's a clay pig. And they're like, yes, fuck yes! I knew, I knew I was they your best general. they got magic powers, though, man. They've got, like, you know, these are mystical objects. Yeah, plus yeah. four, this, plus this four magical satisfaction. Scroll. Yeah. This, is gonna, this unicorn's gonna give me so much more resolve. But... And then you can always promote them and just give them like a title bump, and they're like awesome. So I'm like chief clerk of <laughs> you know of Chen Province. So I'm like the regional you bet, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so like I I, I think kind of the thing I was hoping to see a little bit more was that you'd see more of your prob like your problematic faves. Um, actually do stuff to force you to come to some sort of reckoning with them, right? Like, that you, you'd, ha you'd have sort of a cast of generals who genuinely, if you did not start, like, dismissing people or uh, banishing people, you were going to have a fight breakout. And I just, like, I had so many tools for diffusing that that I was hoping, like... You know, I, I you know, I was I was I was kind of hoping I would be hearing from you guys about like how late game this this stuff starts to become harder to handle and starts boiling over, but it sounds like it kinda doesn't. It does if you hire Lou Boo. If you go <laughs> It does if you hire Yeah, that, if you that hire man. spots. <laughs> uh, it Lou also Boo. feels like most of us play Tao Tao. Which is super easy, uh, yeah. I, I I actually thought that my Lu Bay campaign was a little bit easier, but maybe Tao Tao because it's modeling his personality being incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. uh, he has an easier time maintaining his generals. Like any of the way rebellions, I think only tended to happen after Tao Tao had died. Uh, so that might just be a quirk there. And maybe we will see it if we, uh, if we play someone where things get a little more desperate. Well, like, I mean, like Ginny, I never had the stuff that you describe happen, right? Like I never, I never had to worry about a general trying to like, good God, give it to me yeah. in the back <laughs> on the battlefield. I was like, wait, what? Mate. 
Yeah, that that can. I was really shocked too because I played Tao Tao first, and I was like, "Yeah, this is all right." And like within literally like maybe thirty turns of playing as Zheng Jiang, my guy was like, "Hey, you know this job is crap. The pay bump you gave me, crap. These people that I work with, completely crap. Next time we fight." <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. Like a warning was like, you might die in battle, basically. And I was like, oh great, that is horrific. Thank you so much. So I think if you're missing that drama from your life, you want that Riverdale goodness. You really, really want to play as as one of the bandits. I cannot stress this enough because I have never been so pressed. Like I have never had the game pop up and be like, this guy that you really cared about, this guy that you wasted so much money on, has just been like, you know what? Not good enough. This ceramic pig? No thanks. I got 20 of those. <laughs> All right? I don't need any of that. So <laughs> I highly recommend playing as Zheng Jiang if you really want to feel the political drama because I, I never felt safe. Like, I felt the fact that I literally married an enemy and felt safer being vassalized than dealing with my generals myself, that was a huge turning point for me. And that's really what sold me on this game, to be honest. Yeah, she starts with a guy who's basically like, I don't yeah, think women should be. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, he's a huge. Dude. Yeah, he's a huge misogynist. He's like, you know what? This this woman thing, nonsense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And he's like that. the guy who's in your army at the start. So there's yep. like no way to get rid of him without hurting your economy, which is pretty exactly. Tough yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty interesting dynamic. Fortunately, I lost before he killed me. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh, well, what did people make of this entire retinue system? So this yeah. is this is one of the huge so, changes. Like, not only in addition to figuring out what you're supposed to do with these heroes, uh, you know that that that's kind of your first challenge. Uh, and I didn't really figure it out until TJ just told me like, headhunt heroes with your champions, and you know you'll be all good. That was that was pretty clutch advice. Uh, but also there's this element of your army now basically is led by these uh, like major characters, these, these sort of hero units uh, who fit these archetypes. And then each of the hero units, it's their retinue that comprises like the line units in your, in your army. And so there's this weird system where um, you're kind of, you aren't like, it's not just you have a stack and you add units to it and then put a couple hero units into it the way you do in Warhammer. It's like you create an army stack, you put a general in charge of it, and then you start recruiting units to fill that general's retinue. I think it maxes out at six. Mm -hmm. And then if you want more units, you have to get another general um, and fill their retinue. And then if you, in general, what you're going to do is... If you need to downsize, you'll probably dismiss the entire retinue and basically put mm. that entire like division of your army on ice for a while uh, to be mobilized later. And I'm curious what people made of the system. Does it does it work? Did it create interesting dilemmas? I, I loved it. A, a, another aspect of it that I think is really important to mention is that those generals keep those retinues if they go anywhere else. Mm. Like if you, if you like send them to a different part of your army or whatever. And then like, if a general dies, you can either take a new general and put them in charge of that retinue or just pick up their old retinue as it is. Um, but the big thing is if you send them as spies, you're also sending that retinue or if they quit and disgust or you fire them, those retinues are still with them when they get recruited somewhere else. So it's, it's a level of permanence even beyond just the army itself. Uh, but for the character throughout the entire game. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I think one of the biggest problems with other Total War games, even Warhammer, 
um, is that late game army diversity just like it kind of doesn't exist unless you go out of your way to create it. Like all of my late game high elf armies in my most recent Mortal Empires campaign basically have the same unit composition because it's the best one. Um, and I th feel like what the retinue system in Three Kingdoms kind of forces you to do is since each of these general types plays the best with a certain troop type and since high level troops of that category are only recruitable by the matching general, it forces all of your armies to look a little bit different. Um, you know, I had in my Lube campaign, you know, I had the three brothers army. Um, they had really good cavalry because Lube and um, uh, Zhang Fei can recruit really good cavalry. Um, and they had really good spearmen because uh, Guan Yu can recruit really good spearmen. But then I had my other army that was led by uh, Juge Liang, and he was like the ranged Terminator mm -hmm. army, because strategists can recruit mm -hmm. really badass archers and crossbowmen. Um, and so that army had like a completely different set of strengths and weaknesses on the battlefield. And then you'll run into things where like, okay, well, these two troop types synergize well together, but these two generals hate each other, so I can't put them in the same army. So now I'm juggling them around based on who actually gets along. And it really, you know, you could argue that it takes away some choice from how you compose your armies. But I think that actually ends up being a lot more fun at the end of the day. And you still have the choice. You can still put generals who don't like each other into an army. And you can still give uh, someone who's a vanguard and thus uh, you would normally want to give them kind of punchy anti uh anti-ranged uh, cavalry uh, you could just be like actually I'm just going to give this dude archers it's it's up to you there's not they're not that restrictive but it's just this is how they're but it's better to build them in, in one way but you can build them however you like so I think I generally really like it it makes just army composition more fun and more interesting and less of a micromanaging hassle um, it also really feeds into the personality oriented aspect of the game uh, the thing that I'm still puzzling out are sort of the long-term effects. Like, there was a, a, something TJ was talking about in our Discord about how it felt like there were every battle was like a battle between equal armies in this game at a level that Total War d hasn't really had in the past. And I think that the way the retinue system works, where even if you lose a battle, you just st stick in a town for five turns, you'll be the same army again, and it will be roughly as big as the other armies you've been taking on. That's still kind of always the case. And that's a thing that, like, I, the more I play this game, the more I will wonder about, like, whether there might be a variation on that that is a little bit less exhausting, or if the upfront benefits, of which there are many, are just going to always trump that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting little strategic, uh, wrinkle to a series that, you know, we've been playing for 20 years at this point. Um, that, uh, one of those small changes that make sense that might have really big effects that uh yeah i don't know what they it's, do <laughs> uh, the one thing i so i felt for a long time like there is a lot of um friction in the total war campaign that they like ever since the ai first of all stopped like walking into traps as gracefully and just letting you like <laughs> like double envelop them in every battle and slaughter them ever since they basically like just created a tactical ai that was like Form a roughly credible line of battle, keep it angled roughly in the right direction, walk forward, and, like, just hope for the best, and just, like, shell the shit it's, out of the player with arrows. 
and send your cavalry at the flanks. Right. Like ever since they've they've built an AI that reliably does that stuff, it's it's at least a little bit harder to score those like giant massacres uh, on on the AI uh, on on roughly equal footing. Um, so I think in general, there's been a drift in the series to like try to make even your victories a little bit bloodier. And then that's encouraged a lot of, um, you know, you get a close victory, but your army's really, you know, shot to hell. So you end mm-hmm. up having to pause, go back to friendly territory, wait for replenishing um, to, to and, and that's sort of a fixed time length. That's the thing that they, that's one of the big changes they made. Used to be you just walk back to a friendly base. You would click repair on your units. If you could afford the repairs, you would wait a turn. They'd be back up to full strength, and then it was time to go out and and, and resume your conquest. Uh, now, like in recent Total War games, it's really more about what's your replenishment rate in the area, and then that leads to a lot of campaigns where you sort of have to hit pause. You have to wait for your units to replenish enough for them to be like functional again, and then you keep advancing. So I don't feel like that's such a huge change here, but what I do find striking is the decision to. Even if a unit gets wiped out, you get it back for free. Like, you get it back, uh, it's like a two-turn delay uh, in general to, to get a, a unit back into a retinue. It, it depends on the location and the general, I think. But yes, it's, it's a few turns. And, and that was the one thing, that part I feel a little bit weird about. Because I think one of the things I kind of liked is that like in the Total War games, for instance... You know, if you had a really expensive elite unit that you just threw away, like, and maybe, maybe for a good cause, right? Like, maybe it's like, shit, you guys need to go plug that hole. Uh, good luck with that giant, guys. You don't have giant killing weapons, but you're brave and you're well armored. So I think this is going to go fine. And it doesn't. Um, at the end of that, what you just lost was a pretty huge upfront investment in an advanced unit. And so now you got to wait, like, where can I go recruit a, a replacement for that shit? Um, and full unit wipes are rare, but they, they happened here. Um, you see it happen and it very much feels like, okay, that unit's just on cooldown for a little bit. And then the replenishment clock starts ticking. And I felt a little bit weird about that. Cause I did feel like that really, at least from my perspective, negated the consequences of particularly with cavalry. I think we're like, uh, like cavalry take kind of a beating under my command. It's just, it's just how it goes. Uh, but yeah, I kind of felt like if I had elite cavalry troops just charged to their death to break like an infantry line, and they did, but they died. I'm not sure I, I, I totally love the idea that I get them back for free. It doesn't inspire you to experiment with armies either, because you never have an opportunity. Like you don't have the opportunity if your army is you build it, and then that's what it's like. You can go and swap. Uh, your units like you can actually just click on a unit and go swap it for this one um but it's not got those moments where your whole army's been wiped out and now you're like right how do i rebuild how do i build this better because in two turns your army's back and then because of replenishment it means you can just wander around your territory while they get to full strength again well so there are a couple of things here i think you're right it doesn't in, in the way that it doesn't seems like it knocks your experience back down like, when you have a level 10 unit get wiped out, they'll come back at level 10. Yeah. That's a little strange. Um, I think you should probably lose at least a couple mm. a couple levels. And maybe you do. I, I have not, like, tested that. To, no, it looks to uh, me like it's a perfect it's, restoration. 
Yeah. But uh, the thing that I think actually makes this strategically good is that uh, it keeps your economy balanced because like you're waiting five turns to get those units back up uh, and you're paying for those units. You're paying their upkeep. And from what I can tell, it takes about five turns worth of upkeep for a unit to be worth what it was again. Um, so it kind of stabilizes the huh. economy where you'd have in like Warhammer, you'd lose half your trash units and you'd just get a massive burst of money in between that term. Where in this, it's a little smoother. And I do generally think the economy works in a way that I don't know. Like is a hard word for <laughs> this kind of thing, but it's never been a point where I've been like, I do not understand how the gold in this game works, or I yeah. don't feel like it matches my, my ability to what, or what I think my ability to put armies out there should be. Um, it, it feels like it is a thing that matches a game in the way that is almost usually unnoticeable, unless you have an entire army get totally wiped out. Um, which you do get that, that monetary lack of upkeep burst, but, uh, that's relatively rare. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just, that's one of those things where yes, it's a little weird, but I think the long-term effects are are doing some interesting things. What's weirder is that in a game that has heroes that can do crazy tricks and they're almost like superhuman, the basic units are as boring as any Total War has ever been. That's... <clears throat> they're just like, they've got a cu- they've got some formations they could do fires things we've seen a million times before, but they're just so bland. I feel it's like perfect that each unit card is just like this grey silhouette because there's nothing <laughs> that interesting about them. Some dudes on horses with lances, some dudes with bows. I don't really well, give a Well, that's shit. the thing. I mean, it's at least in romance mode, or especially in romance mode, I feel like units yeah. are just, they're kind of like accessories for a character. Like the yeah, character... An extension the of the general. The character is what matters. If his cavalry unit dies, like that's like getting like, oh, his arm is wounded and now I have to wait for it to heal or something. Like... They're really just attachments to the characters who can die permanently. And that's really what the game wants you to care about, it seems like. It's Total War Arena. <laughs> nah. That's, that's, that's a low blow. Another that's a low that, blow right there. Another thing that I think the game is doing is it's intentionally kind of zoomed out, especially from Warhammer, which, mm. uh, like, both... Both, like, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, you wanted to zoom in on Warhammer to see those giants rampaging through each individual dwarf sometimes. <laughs> and you can sort of do that in this game with the hero units. And that's that's cool and fun to watch. But in general, it feels like the regular individual people in this are not the important thing. This is a giant civil war for yeah. the entirety of China mm-hmm. and it, it feels like it is a larger scope and part of that scope is just that these units are uh, they feel more conceptual. It's like this is my... this. This character is a relatively new character. His units are largely going to be trash. You know, light, light spearmen and archer militia uh, and you know, that's that's kind of how I see it. I don't see it as I want these units to all have personality, and this kind of feeds into what TJ was saying, but just that, like, these armies are so huge and taking over, like, such big parts of the map that it, it doesn't feel like they need to have the personality that they did, and that feels uh, like a, a 
intentional choice that is working for me. It's not just personality, though. It's um, Well, I mean, this is kind of partially a personality thing, but it's also the stuff you can do with these units. You know, it's not yeah. just like, ooh, this group of orcs in Warhammer is kind of exciting because they're big and green and they have this cool homemade armor and giant machetes. Uh, <laughs> it's like they're like having actual mechanics and systems related to these troops or groups of troops that are distinct and engaging. And there isn't. They're just bog standard troops most of the time and in maybe if you've got like a general has a retainer that gives you a new type of like uh, uh, formation that's kind of interesting but that's not that common uh, most of the time you just send them into battle against mm. another unit in the opposition that they'll be able to defeat and it's it's stuff we've been doing for like decades and i would like not just more character personality but just more to do in the battles and i think it does give you that with the heroes but that almost like overshadows the rest of your troops they're like kind of just there as the audience to watch the heroes do some really cool tricks and then they all go home uh, yeah. <laughs> In the early game, that's true, I think, especially if you're playing like as a Lube or a Tao Tao. Um, but it does, they, they become a lot more relevant, especially when you get to like the Imperial level where you get like super duper Empire troops. But I that's just like had the like, very, very end of the game. Like that is. It's not the very end of the it's game. It's after like, like you've put. Yeah, it's after you've put like 20 odd hours into the game or something, mm. you're getting in there. Like. Well, true. And that's ridiculous. That they oh suddenly it's I, only it's then that they get really exciting. The, the heroes are doing the things you want. Like you say, you want personality. Yeah. What about a hero who blocks ranged units once a minute? Yeah, that's really like, cool. But that's, that's a separate thing. It's not a separate thing. It's the the idea that you have things that you can do with your army, and the heroes are part of the army. They are inextricable from the army. Now, if you were playing records mode and having this issue, which I think would be entirely valid, like. That's that's a different thing, but like when you have the modes where the heroes can buff all the units around them, um, yeah, that's that's a new and different, exciting thing. But you've maybe got three of these so in your army. This. You've I'm, got I, like whereas you've got all these units <laughs> that Fraser, aren't really doing anything that interesting. Sorry, Rob. I just I just don't know that. Okay, first of all, I think there's a stylistic preference here uh, yeah. that I actually found. Warhammer's emphasis on every single unit having Exhausting. some like little mechanic. Yes, <laughs> Thank yes, you. and I yes. think it led to go. a Exhausting. lot of like a lot of those battles. And like, uh, and Fraser, I know like the Wood Elves are like an exception, and I know that like with faction design they diversified this a lot. But a lot of Warhammer battles had this feeling of. All right, he, but like, I'm not basically, looking for Warhammer. It's it's that's like not what I'm asking that's, for. Oh, that's what you're. Wait, hold on. You were just saying you wanted more to do with each of these units. This is a return to pretty classic Total War stuff, where, like, you have four different flavors of spearmen yeah. that are of varying quality. What's more Total War than that? I think that's maybe what... I think that's... You've got on something that is quite important, is that I actually... I think there's some Total War fatigue going on with me, because it is like, we've had so many of them. And you're saying it's a return back to classic Total War... I don't want a fucking return back to classic Total War. I want Total War to keep going forward and finding new well, and interesting things forward, to do with. Though. And it is, you're right. And I overall think that Three Kingdoms is 
a fantastic Total War. I think it's one of, in the historical range, it's my favourite since mm. Shogun 2. Uh, but I also think at the point where I was really excited about Shogun 2, that was many years ago. Uh, and I'm looking for something, I don't know, a little bit different maybe. I, I think it is fantastic, but it's just, ah, it's not gotten me as excited as I hoped See- it would. See, the problem is you played too many versions of Rome 2. Like, this is the first <laughs> historical Total War I've cared about since Shogun 2. So I'm motivated. I'm excited. So, uh, I, I'm just really curious because I, I want to hear, like, Jenny, what, your, your point of view, you seem to be in a similar place as me with, like, where you see this fitting versus, like, traditional Total War versus, like, Warhammer. I'm yeah. curious, like, with, with these battles and the way that the way these sort of armies smack into each other, like... Did this feel new? Did this feel old? Well, for me, it felt like Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Like, which, which might seem like a weird thing to say because you specifically asked me about how it felt in a Total War sense. But all, all I really kind of have to, to keep pulling back to, I suppose, is as someone that loved the literature and the source material, the way that these troops collide, the way that you feel like your 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 generals and I suppose, well, your your low tier generals and their infantry members are just kind of set pieces for your wider conflict and how the heroes are the ones kind of really doing all the legwork that felt uniquely three kingdoms to me. And like I said, it is a return to the, it is like an extended version of the hero mode from the Warhammer, um, from total war Warhammer. Um, obviously Britannia, we didn't have this. So, I mean, to me, it feels, it feels like a logical extension of total war because of the source material. So I wouldn't really necessarily say that that's the thing that I thought was really classic Total War about the fighting. Um, mm-hmm. I like what Rowan was just saying. I thought what was very classical Total War was just the return to the math soup um, of, of statistics and, and the UI and the Reformation. And that felt very Total War to me was the minutia of the everyday stuff. That felt very traditional. The fighting just felt very Romance of the, of the Three Kingdoms, really, is what I have to say about it. So I feel like uh, they have made some decisions with the way the series has worked in recent years. Like we we run Rome two to death about just like how terrible their tactical battles were. They were so bad they were almost as bad as strategic layer. Um, in the in the game since then, they have kind of built towards this model of combat as like individual units, sort of creating these little blobs of mini combat throughout them and if you go back to shogun 2 and even like the original rome it's much more about like lines and formations batching into each other where this is more the individual units batching into each other and kind of like having their individual combat one and then moving on to the next individual combat that they have and like trying to stack up as many of those as you can by routing other units mm-hmm. and i feel like um i feel like this is a downgrade from Shogun 2. Like, I love the way Shogun 2's rigid, varied battle lines worked. But um, in terms of, like, continuing what Warhammer did in creating these battles that feel like they have these individual moments of, uh, like, individual, like, flashpoints across the battlefield at, like, three or four different areas, and then, like, whoever wins those gets an advantage of the next one. Uh, like, this this is doing that pretty well. And by zooming out and making the units a little less interesting and a little more cannon fodder, uh, I think that it actually sort of serves both the setting, as Jenny mentioned, and this model of Total War combat that, like, 
it's not my absolute favorite, but I'm not complaining about this in the way that I did with even early Total Warhammer battles, um, but especially Roman Attila. I have a complaint. <laughs> All right, Rob. Let's hear it. Come on, let's go. Let's air this stuff. <laughs> no, let's go. I just, like, honestly, it is striking to me the degree to which it feels like they've put a real emphasis on having these battles wrap up. Which is kind of smart, in a way, because, like, when these things dr- would drag on, they got really, like, rote. It could be pretty dull. But the fact that they, like, give you a little timer at the end of it was, like, that battle was five and a half minutes. And I was like, <laughs> damn, like, that was a really big battle. And it was like, five and a half minutes. Yeah. Wrap that baby up. <laughs> on the next. And I'm like, wow, who knew that, you know, we would we would crush Lubay that, that quickly, huh? That was five and a half minutes? I was like, yep. Like, and... I think that's tied to things like, and I know they they punch this up for records mode, uh, where like unit fatigue is a bigger deal. But man, romance, it's just these units are just hustling everywhere and just are indefatigable. <laughs> just you know, just running around, uh, you know, sprinting across the map, and it, it's you know, it, it very much is like everyone is there, like okay, we're on the clock. Like let's <laughs> let's wrap this up. You know, and, uh, like, I think I think I have an idea on like the future of Total War and just how to fix the series permanently forever going forward. Just if we're we're talking about how the the regular troops don't seem that important in Three Kingdoms, just just make them not really that important. Let's make them part of the scenery. Um, you just control your hero. You control them like an oh, like, kind of like an arcade character. Uh, maybe you have some kind yeah. of power up meter. I'm thinking maybe you can run around and like pick up special armor or something like that, and you just really focus on. And you want more of that story right. stuff? Just, just like go to the highlights of the story. It's really about the button mashing more than you know any kind of like tactical uh, considerations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can we kick the music up a notch? Oh yeah, we got to get some more butt rock <laughs> in here. There's a distinct lack of butt rock in Total War Three Kingdoms. Oh. Actually, so um, I think this game is beautiful. It is. This, this yeah. game is gorgeous. I so love the, amazing. the strategic map, but I also just, I wanted to shout out you. You mentioned the music. There's some really good musical score happening here. There's some really good ambient score happening. Mm-hmm. Like I had, like I would declare war on somebody. And it was kind of like a they're a little more powerful than I am, but it was an opportune moment to strike. And there would be like a discordant, like I. <sighs> It was almost like a like drone music would start to play, and like I was like, did did my game just glitch? But I don't think it did because there were different like pitches to the to, to the sound, and it was just like this kind of menacing wail sometimes, and I'd hear it now and then in the game, <laughs> and so I, like there's this there's this weird dynamic of this like. Everything aesthetically about this game, the you know the the way the clouds blow over the strategic map, the the way the lighting changes with the time of day, uh, the music, like this is a total war that I just wanted to like leave running, and I did. Like I would step away from it. And I was like, I'm just gonna leave that up. And I'd be sitting, I'd be doing something across the room, and I'd look up, and it was like, ah, rain on the valley. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've talked about this in the Civil War shows we've done, Rob, but the the whole American Civil War or American Heritage Civil War book that Sid Meier used as the uh, guideline for like Sid Meier's Gettysburg that had like all the little flashpoints of the battle with the dead bodies there when it moved on to the next thing on those little like hand drawn maps. This game does that like 
I, I think that maybe all the other Total Wars would like, they'd removed the dead bodies on the ground when, uh, when the battle had moved on a couple minutes. But here it's like, you can see how the battle has moved at a level that I haven't seen. And, you know, that's, that's a touch that takes me back to my childhood and games that I loved, the, the book that, you know, I obsessed with, but also just like, it's good for seeing like these are these are where the tactics have gone and uh yeah that's that's one i i don't know if they amp that up i don't know if they turn down the decay i don't know if it's just that they made the corpses stand out but like whatever they are doing there just is like one of those little details in this game that makes me really happy to play it because i love seeing dead bodies who doesn't it's very dispiriting <laughs> thinking you've just gotten out of a conflict really well and then you look at the ground and it's just like a hundred of your mates <laughs> yeah. and all your generals hate you it's, <laughs> it, it, it's very much like when uh, General Pickett like went to visit uh, Lee after the war and just said to the guy who was with him like, that man had my division massacred at Gettysburg and it's like <laughs> I have that relationship with a lot of my generals now turns out like did you command cavalry under under Rob Zachney well you probably hate his fucking guts um, <laughs> I got a question for readers of the novel actually the novels yeah. mm-hmm. Um is there a, a kind of in war, in universe uh, reason why when the Yellow Turban Rebellion flares up and they take a city, it's automatically just theirs, added to their faction, and it's considered like not enemy territory anymore? Do they have some mystical power in the books? <laughs> it's it's not so much of I wouldn't say it's a mystical power. I guess it's just the 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 way that the rebellion I guess is con- consistently portray they are meant to be like the people's rebellion which is probably Mm. why they are so i guess quote unquote well loved despite any of their actions which is a bit of a uh i guess a free pass the game gives them but yeah i think it's because they're just a peasant revolt and so the game's kind of lumping it into the whole like right people uprising you know they they take over something and that's cool the people are fine with it because they hate the emperor (laughs) that's kind of i think how the game is playing it I don't think there's any real nuance there about how the rebellion is actually properly portrayed. That's my Because it's very different to how it normally works because mm. you've actually got every rebellion that you get mm. is actually related to a faction that exists in the game. And when they rebel, they're just a separate thing. But then mm. if they actually take one of your cities, that city then immediately joins the Yellow Turban Rebel faction. And if you're not at war with them, they've just taken your city for free. No effort. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And to get it back, you'll have to then declare war on them. Now, maybe you've got an actual deal with them, so you would be betraying them even though you've, mm-hmm. they've just taken your territory. And it just doesn't really... From a, just a design point of view, it's really confusing. Um, so, so I think there are two things, like one of the ways that the yellow turbans are consistently described is they're like a wildfire. Mm. Like they will pop up and destroy and just like spread from there. And that seems like the, the kind of thing that they're trying to, but you should be, I feel Um, like have a sort of like, you should be at war with them then when that happens. You know what I mean? Like, instead of being like, no, yeah. we're at peace immediately. I'm like, right. Yeah, that, that seems that seems like a weird thing that might be like a compromise that they had to do in order to have... Because this is this game starts like years after the core Yellow Turban Rebellion yeah. has ended. Yeah, it's, they're really they, weak at the beginning, all, aren't they? 
But they also want to sell their day one expansion. There we go. So, so those are the three factions that we can't play because the review build does not include mm-hmm. that. At least on my review build. Hey, here's another yeah. question for folks, uh, for fans of the novel, mm-hmm. the Han Rebels? Empire. They're oh, still yeah. there. They're still the Han <laughs> Empire. But man, I'm just running like they're just getting murked right and left. It's like, <laughs> like if I just want to punch somebody, if I just want to like kick the ever living crap out of somebody and not have anything bad happen to me, <laughs> I just look for the Han. And it's like, but they're the Empire, but like not. What's up with that? It's because we come so, in at a point like, sorry, we come in at a point whereby the the Empire itself is a creative disjointed because of Dong Zhuo. Like he's basically that one guy that he's like on the throne. People are like. Do we hate him? Do we love him? I think we hate him. I think we love him. And so the reality is that the Empire is supremely disjointed, and that's where we kind of come in. Like, the the, yeah. the three great states. Uh, uh, the three great states. The, it becomes three great states, but the, the power block is completely thrown off by Dong Zhuo taking the throne and seizing it. So we're at a point whereby they're like, we don't know what the fuck to do. Like, this snake is on the throne right now. We hate everyone. We hate each other. And that's why these guys are basically like... You know, you can like old yell at any one of these guys because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, just take him out back, boom, that's it. Because in reality, in in the actual novels, there are all these tiny separate factions and people kind of like trying to carry favor here, pull power there because it's a free for all power grab for the actual throne of the empire. That's why they're so easy to work on. I love that no matter how bad my day's gone, I can always rely on the Han Empire to be like, yo, can you vassalize me? (laughs) I need to go, no. Yeah. So if you you pick up a Dynasty Warriors, uh, like, it starts with the Yellow Turban Rebellion, um, which is like six years before this game starts. And then... Immediately before this game starts is the Battle of Hulao Gate, which is the uh, the coalition attacks Dong Zhuo and gets turned back. And Dong Zhuo is just like everyone hates him. He's in charge of the empire. No one knows what to, what to do there. And then between that is an event where, um, like the the story goes that the reason the Han collapsed was that uh, they allowed the eunuchs to grow too powerful. Oh yeah, that's right. The ten um, attendants. Oh, yes, the intro movie mentions the eunuchs. Yes. So so these eunuchs took too much power. The emperor had no power on his own. And the uh, Yuan brothers decided that they were going to go murder these eunuchs. And they did that between that. So uh, between uh, the Yellow Turban Rebellion and the Battle of Hulao Gate. Um, so basically Dong Zhou is stepping into a power vacuum that the eunuchs had already stepped into with the chaos of the yellow turbans basically saying that everything is a mess here uh so yeah i the way this game models it is weird when you play romance of the three kingdoms game uh every single one of those different commanderies or provinces or whatever has their own person and they might be there might be a mechanic in those games that like they're still loyal to the emperor and whoever as the emperor is doing whatever but they are you know equivalent agents as a Tao Tao or a Liu Bei or a Sun Jian the thing is that though they're you know meant to be cannon fodder and this game just kind of says okay the cannon fodder is just straight up now the Han Empire the other thing that that does is it gives them lots of place to add a new character for expansions <laughs> um <laughs> Like there's a there's a really obvious place for them to go 
um, where a major a major faction in the in the novel is uh, what becomes Liu Zhang. I forget what his dad's name is, but in the far southwest. And then there's also a campaign that uh, where Liu Bei take attacks further southwest than that uh, from the rainforests of I don't maybe Cambodia, but uh, the Nanman campaign or Nanman. I don't I don't remember where my vowels are there, um, but uh, those things are very clearly like potential for future expansions but after that what are they gonna do well they have all these potential warlords who are attached to the Han empire who maybe could not be um and that might be a thing that they want to go with but yeah that's there's yeah definitely a weird gameplay compromise with a history that's you know invariably complicated because those those each of those people are the equivalent of the Cao Cao or Liu Bei. They're Chinese aristocracy. They're the governors of the yeah. provinces. But uh, in this game, they're all a blob that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, basically. Speaking of blobbing, uh, and this is the maybe last thing I want to get to. Uh, we're running a, a little bit long. And I know Fraser. It's uh, almost is... 2 a.m. Uh, uh, Fraser, I'm so sorry. No, I know we <laughs> said okay. to keep this tight. Uh, it's okay. But it's, it's I'm just joking. War. I'm laughing. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the empire building you do, the management of provinces, uh, mm. it's weird. It's, co- it's consistent in a lot of ways with what's familiar from, it, it keeps a lot of the big changes they made with Rome too, uh, mm-hmm. with just how like certain settlements have the one thing they do, but now it, now it codifies that, right? So like an outlying town now literally just does the one thing. You're not like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I can put a barracks in this town, but it can only go up to level three. Uh, this is from Thrones a- of Britannia. They, they kind of, the way they split it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, I find myself really liking this. Like, I, there is sort of a satisfying annoyingness to optimizing your <laughs> kingdom that I find really interesting because there are things like, you know, for instance, uh, you have to sort of decide, like, is this is this commandery going to be a strategic frontier for a while? Because if it is, then I guess it does make sense for me to start investing in some really powerful, uh, like, building chains that are available that have like cool effects like if you build um build up like a you know a capital that has a fortress in it that is set up to have like a raiding ability you'll just start inflicting like massive attrition on enemy armies in that commander and that can be a pretty huge space uh, that, that these units are are going through, uh, but that's going to be a prohibitively expensive investment to make, and you have to be thinking like, well, you know, this this commander has a you know a tool shop or something, or or it harvests this rare resource. Maybe what I want to be in, doing instead is investing in sort of building it all around trade. There's there's a lot of like fun little like trade offs and min maxing decisions here that. I don't know. For some reason, I chafed at with with previous editions of of Total War, uh, but but here, at least for me, I am getting surprisingly into thinking about like how these bases are going to scale up over time. What's the furthest into a campaign you've gotten so far? Oh gosh, um, let's see. Probably like second generation. Really is where I'm like you know what I mean. Like the sons are the, like the sons are playing like 
charging okay. around. Because I was going to say, I, I feel like it's pretty typical Total War in that regard, in that the design works really well on a small scale. When I have yeah. three, three commanderies, there's a lot of interesting min-maxing to do, and I care about it a lot. When I have nine commanderies, I care about it a fair bit. I feel like I'm still making some cool choices. When I have like 27 commanderies, I'm just done with it at that point. I'm just like, what province has my highest population? All right, I'm putting tax buildings there and moving on. I've got better stuff to worry about. Um, I think this sort of goes along with the the UI and the conceptual smoothness that they built into the game with their their element system. Uh, Because the decisions you're making are not like what individual thing am I doing here? They're like, what satisfying connection of the buildings am I trying to achieve here? And once I start down that path, like the choices become very specific. They become like, is this going to be, you know, if I'm going green here, is this going to be a food generation province or is this going to be a food selling province that gets me peasantry income? Mm. Um, And then, for a little bit less of a smooth thing, there's also the assignments that you can send your nobles on that no. are not generals. Uh, those tend to end after five or 15 turns, and the interface for telling you when those have ended and what you should do to bring them back is uh, not as strong as it could be. But the <laughs> idea of being able to just give those temporary little buffs to the provinces that need them the most, I think, is 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 really good especially as tj says in the early game and in the later game you can just continue to sort of use that color smoothness and say this province is purple i want more industry um and that's that's cool so i think we're going to talk more a lot more about end games uh because we've got a topic coming up that relates to how this all shakes out i definitely need to see uh the late game a lot more um but i'm curious for those of you who got into late game stuff uh why don't you sketch out what happens and then, then how you end up feeling about it? I might have played the furthest into the late game, or I don't know, Rowan, how far you've gotten so far in your... I, I've gotten into my first big Three Kingdoms war. Okay. I got to the Three Kingdoms, mm. but it's like just getting into the yeah. just getting into the shit. Well, that's the really cool thing is that it, it the map kind of coalesces from this like chaotic free-for-all into like, all right, I'm... I'm strong enough for, to proclaim myself a king, and then my two most credible rivals are going to do the same thing, and it becomes more of a three-way civil war um, yeah. where you, you kind of have to think about, okay, if I attack this guy, I might be vulnerable to this other guy, but he's also thinking the same thing about me, and guy number three is thinking the same thing about both of us. Uh, like, I described it in my review as, like, kind of a three-way Mexican standoff. Like, where are you going <laughs> to commit your strongest troops? Is that going to open up you know, your other flank to this this other guy. I think it's probably the best, potentially, at least out of the historical titles, it's definitely the best endgame that Total War has ever done. Um, it reminded me sort of in the way that it feels to the Realm Divide mechanic from Shogun 2, except that it doesn't just arbitrarily hand half of your provinces to rebels, which always felt kind of lame. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think it's honestly really well done. I, I like I like the act breaks. I like the progression of events that every Three Kingdoms campaign goes through. Where like, okay, when when the Three Kingdoms form, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're in the end game now. Mm. So Jenny, I think you you've got to the end game, yes. Yeah, I think it's a clear demarcation 
point, which we didn't necessarily have with with Britannia and the way that I feel like I personally felt that short victories were really easy to obtain and where you were almost incentivized to get them. The fact that you have to play out this conflict that you start from being like relative nobody up until the very end, I found that very compelling. Um, and again, like I said, for me, it really is about the source material appeal. The fact that I can literally see these three different distinct factions and have to kind of, I guess, expand my focus from what I was doing with my, my inner coterie to actually managing, I guess, full on civil war. I found that compelling and I enjoy the way that it pans out in Endgame. I think it's perfect for the source material. Uh, I mean, from, I, I agree with TJ that this is probably by far the best uh, in the game that a Total War has had, at least conceptually. Uh, that's not really saying much. Um, I mean, the Warhammer 1, I think, did a fantastic job with the Chaos Invasion, but like in terms of the historical Total War, those have always been like marches to the end. And so far, like it got more interesting when I hit the Three Kingdoms mode, because now I'm in this in this point where it's like, I know that the, the fire is going to start and it's who's going to start it when and how much will it burn. Uh, and that, that's, that's pretty fascinating a level that like TJ was, TJ had primed me for this. And so far I'm in agreement <laughs> with him. I also love that they have separate um, dynasty names for every single warlord you can play as. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure where they picked those from, honestly, but like every, Every warlord you can start as has their own dynasty name once you get to that level of the game. The different coalition names are badass too. Um, <laughs> yeah, like that's that that's also a good touch. Uh, I was very loyal to my coalition of the Darkening Moon. Um, I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, let's ride. I'm ride or die for y'all. Um, yeah, it creates I, a nice arc, though. I think the way that you start the game, it's all about at least with uh, with Tao Tao, it was find friends, you know, gather your strength, make battles, just kind of build up. And then when you get to, to end game territory, it's like, fuck your friends, kill everyone, you know, <laughs> take over exactly. the world. And it's brilliant yeah. because it is just this free for all, fuck everything. And it's all building up that. So no matter how good you've been in the beginning, you're probably going to become a tyrant by the end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So is this a good game? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I've been enjoying it's it. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty it's good. I think it's uh, it's the best historical Total War since Shogun Two. I I'll just I'm just gonna say this is the best historical or maybe ever Total War. I'll say best historical ever. Total War definitely. Yeah. Yeah, best historical for me. I don't know if yeah, ever, but... but I'm Warhammer biased, so. <laughs> but yeah, like I, it, this this is making me happy at a level that. I mean, like, I tried to play Warhammer 2 again uh, last fall, I think, about six, six nine months ago. Mm. And just, like, was like, nah, I, I, I think I've total warred out for a while. And this I've just been mesmerized with every time I've been able to touch it. Like, I'm going to load it up immediately after this show. Yes. Not just because I should do a review, but because, <laughs> like, I am just incredibly happy to play this, both as a game and as... Uh, going back to what we said about in the Three Kingdoms show, where it was like every game was like getting a part of the Three Kingdoms story. Mm. This game feels like it's getting all of the Three Kingdoms story. Uh, it might require having the background knowledge that I or Jenny do, but uh, yeah, this is this is doing that setting right. Do you know what I'm going to do after this show? Yeah, yeah. Go to bed. Read, read the comic. 
gonna go Wikipedia. straight to my bed. Actually, yeah, I should go on Wikipedia and learn more. Koei binge. Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. You're gonna go to bed like an old man, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I might. You know what? I say that, but actually, I have been kind of like you guys have given me some thoughts about what my next campaign should be, and maybe yes. I'll just and maybe I'll just yeah. start it. Right. Yeah. Make bad decisions. decisions. Make bad decisions. Here would be the deciding factor for me, Fraser. Does Max sleep in a crate or in a dog bed, or does he sleep on your bed? Max isn't here tonight, so I've got the the whole place to myself. Wait, Max. Max left you. He's. <laughs> we've gotten a no, divorce. Now he's. Um. He is at my mom and dad's. So okay. I have the whole flat to myself. All so right. I just get the whole. I just stay up then. I would just like no no dog. I'm not going to bed. Uh, <laughs> Mom's not here. Um, that that did remind me of another thing that I really love about this game is that every different start I did, and I think I've done the most of anybody here, like had a different personality. It it just like it felt like a blast to try out each and every single one, especially the coalition members mm. uh, and. Uh, you know, in Total War games, that's that's not always the case. Like, you find the two or three factions that work most for you, where this and, like, yep, everyone, bring them. I will also say, just in terms of, like, smoothness of performance, like... Oh, yeah. yeah. This, this wow. game makes Warhammer 2 feel like a mod. Yeah. It does. <laughs> that's true. I, I heard, so in the PC Gamer review, Jody said that um, it was a big improvement, but he was getting... Um, uh, it was down to like a minute for load times, and I'm like, that's that's not a big improvement, and that's not been my experience. I've been looking no. at like battle load times, ten to thirty seconds, thirty yeah. seconds yeah. with like a four army, like it's massive. Um, but yeah, mostly just ten ten seconds. It's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's it's been seamless, and uh, even like giant battles, like the, yeah. like it, has, it just runs really really smoothly like uh, full-on I, sieges in like fully tiered up cities are yeah. it's bizarre how smooth mm. they are i i do have a feel like to rowan's point about feeling zoomed out i think in general they are getting oh, yeah. away with um like running like this is this is my suspicion and i talked about it on discord with rowan the other day it feels like they're just more aggressive running meshes uh, where like you zoom out, the diff- the detail level like drops off more sharply. Whereas Warhammer is all about showing off like the decorations, the sort of makeup, the recognizable Warhammer units. Uh, this game seems very much about like yeah, there's some people shaped things running around with pointy things. That's, that's <laughs> and that's even when right. you get zoom up close. There's really it's they're very indistinct. Um, definitely, I think that is one place where they probably benefited from the lack of personality and character yeah. that it, they don't have to it's not so intensive but the land is the character Oof. and the truly, lighting yeah um yeah i i'm also just uh kind of head over heels with this game uh this is the most i've been into into a total war for you know for for ages i'm having that sort of great uh marathoning experience uh, that I associate with Total War, where you're just you, you know you're just constantly uh, well. Let's say let's see if I can take over this this province. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody betrays you. You're like, well, I guess I have to stay up an extra hour or two and uh, you know punish them for this affront. So yeah, I uh, like like certainly this is this is putting me back into like that old Total that, that Shogun uh, two frame of mind um, or the very best moments of like the campaigns in the Warhammer games. Uh, it's kind of the level of involvement mm. I've got throughout this. So, um, yeah, I'm extremely happy. And for me, it's enough of a change. Uh, though I also get where Fraser's coming from. Uh, all right. So I think 
that's where we'll leave it for now. I think this is going to come up again uh, in relation to some other themes. We'll probably revisit it. At some point, I want to hear uh, Brian, at least, talk about this oh, game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because I need to, uh, I, I need to, I need to hear you all just uh, nerd out about this game and and what it brings across. Um, but that's for another week. Uh, we'll be back with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Uh, Alicia Acampora edited this episode. Three Moves Ahead is hosted in the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of the community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com/slash3ma. Uh, finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, that also has further information about our super secret Discord server, uh, where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Um, real quick. But mostly about socialism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and game development. <laughs> yeah, which is also socialism, I guess. Uh, yeah, so that so that, that comes up a lot. Uh, real quickly, Ginny, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, where can you get any other reviews that you're excited to talk about? Anything else you want to plug? Um, yeah, I guess you can find me in GameSpot. I've got some embargoed stuff coming up, which is like, which I, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, and also, um, GameSpot now is doing, uh, we're doing a little feature series on the most influential games of all time. So, um, look out for some entries on there, which may or may not be strategy games and up your guys' alley. Um, and I guess I am generally on everything as um, Ginny Woes. That's G-I-N-N-Y-W-O-E-S. Um, and not just because I'm depressed. Um, I am <laughs> on Patreon as Ginny Woes. Um, I don't talk about socialism a lot, but um, I'll entertain the topic. Sure, why not? Um, and yeah, that's find me everywhere. Twitter, um, Patreon, Instagram, um, everything, Medium. I'm all around. Um, and I podcast a lot. So you'll probably hear my voice at some point on something else. <laughs> awesome. Uh We'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Rowan, for Jenny, for TJ, for Fraser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.